there I are. But uh, okay, now it's telling me we have two bars, so but I still want those other ones here just in case. Well, praise God, it's great to be here uh, today in uh, the house of the Lord and being able to worship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a little bit sweaty in here and, you know, keep that in prayer. I missed the, uh, the prayer time and uh, we need to get uh, somebody to come up and look at our uh, AC units. Um, and so far, the people that I've called all tell me the same thing. We don't have a commercial guy. It's like, do you want work or not? I mean, come on. Um, anyways, uh, just pray for that. Um, I could have swore we had this problem solved last night because it seemed like I got the building kind of cool, but uh, it just not seeming to work right now. So that's definitely one thing to keep in prayer. Uh, praise God that we're able to be here and to be able to worship together and to uh, gather together and, and uh, still uh, worship the Lord with all that's uh, the crazy things going on. There's some, you know, exciting stuff going on uh, via the uh, Supreme Court. Uh, they're passing kind of, you know, they're, they're actually doing their job. They're doing what they're supposed to, what they were sworn to do, which is uphold the Constitution and make sure that laws that are, that are uh, passed are constitutional, and they're deeming some of them that have been passed unconstitutional. And that's great. Praise God for that. I mean, that is a wonderful thing in this crazy time we're in. And so, uh, um, so that being said, um, today's message, we're, we're back in Isaiah, we're in Isaiah 33. It's, uh, it's one, of those, uh, uh, one of those areas in, in Scripture, in, in Isaiah, where it's hard exactly to know what uh, all the details that, uh, um, that are going on. There's a lot of different things going on, but historically, um, this is the time of King Hezekiah. Assyria has been called upon by God to be a judge uh, and judge the people, and, and he's to be their instrument, their weapon, if you will, um, of judgment. And, uh, and unfortunately, like Pharaoh, so many hundreds of years before in history, before this time that we're looking at, um, somebody's heart got proud. How many of us have been there? Our hearts got proud. Um, and... Uh, this is one of the places that I think are, are really um, instrumental in understanding the sovereignty of God. Um, in our study in Genesis, um, we read where Abimelech, and uh, I believe it's uh, Genesis 20 or 21, where Abimelech um, took uh, uh, Abraham's wife, Sarah, the second time he, Abraham had done this in his life. And uh, if you know the story, I commend it to you. Um, but uh, in there we see this instance where um, Abimelech, being the king uh, of a certain people, he uh, you know, had this uh, wanderer come in with his group of people and for some reason was really attracted to, to Miss Sarah and said, Hey, I like her. I think I should have her. And she said, you know, in accordance with keeping with what she said that she would do with Abraham, Abraham said, hey, when we go into these cities, tell them that you're my sister. It's only half true because she's a half-sister, but still, you know, it's kind of cowardly of Abraham. There's no other way to look at it. Kind of cowardly, and it's not very husband-like at all. It's a terrible example. But he's used. And Abimelech, interestingly enough, is in one point, God gives him, he comes to him in the, in the dead of the night, and things have begun to happen, and he understands that somehow, some way, he's been cursed, and Abraham has something to do with it. This is Abimelech. And God comes to him at night and says, Hey, uh, you're in sin against me. And Abimelech just says, Well, hold on a second. I didn't do, th I didn't do this on purpose. I didn't want to commit adultery or anything like that. And he never did, by the way. He never did touch her. That's what the, the scripture is clear on that. But the point is he took her as a wife, as if she was going to be his wife. And then God says an interesting thing. He says, I know. I know in the integrity of your heart that you've not done this. Because I kept you from sinning against me. 
And it's one of the, this is another instance where we see that God uses people and he uses things and he uses things of this world as sometimes tools of judgment. Sometimes God just does as he pleases, just like he says. And guess what? Guess what that means? That means exactly what it says. He does as he pleases. And he doesn't answer to anybody, nor does he have to. He doesn't have to explain it to anybody. He does as he pleases. And here we're going to see Assyria, the king of Assyria, uh, Sennacherib. uh, His heart has grown proud and arrogant. He made a deal. Uh, Hezekiah was at first resisting against him. And then uh, Hezekiah made a, a, you know, he did a blunder of judgment and said, Okay, look, I'll give you you a tribute. I'll I'll be a vassal king if you just don't come and destroy our our land and, and take our people. And so he makes a deal with, with, uh, uh, with the king of Assyria and all the people and the hordes that are with him. And, I mean, I, Hezekiah went so far. Now, Hezekiah, remember, Hezekiah is a good king. He's a godly king. Throughout his whole life, he trusted in God. He always did, and he, he died trusting in God. And it's an amazing thing when you read about it. Um, and I'll commend that to you in Second uh, Kings. Second Kings 18 and 19, or 17 through 19, you can get the, the details on that. But Hezekiah was a good king. He's, he's trusting in God to an extent, but he's also listening to advisors, and that's not going so well. And so Assyria, he finally uh, comes to his senses and says, Look, okay, you're, you're the king. God's using you, and I will vacillate, and I'll give you a tribute. And Hezekiah goes so far as he had already um, uh, lined the doors and the doorposts with gold on the temple. Now he says, I'm going to take all that and I'm going to give it to you as a tribute. And Sennacherib, the the king of Assyria, said, okay, I'll take it. It's good. He makes a deal with them. But then he reneges on it. He still took the money. He took the tribute. And then something interesting happens. Then God hears because someone prayed. Someone called out to God and he said, because you're, this has come up to my ears, now I'm going to rise up. And that's a good thing. That's an amazing thing. We're in a crazy time right now where we should be praying that our prayers would get to God's ears and that he would rise up and do something. Because there's a lot of craziness that is going on. There is a lot of evil and wickedness that is just being poured out everywhere, no matter where you look. And I don't spend that, time, that much time looking at news, but I get a lot of feeds from a lot of different things, a lot of information. There's a lot of things that are going on. And interestingly enough, this is one of those areas where um, you have this in the background for the last few chapters. Isaiah has been warning the people about this that's to come. Um, Hezekiah gets so um, involved in it that finally he not only um, decides that he doesn't want just Isaiah to intercede on their behalf, he gets to the place where he's so desperate that he actually goes to the temple with this letter that's sent, this arrogant, prideful letter that's basically mocking God. And so today's uh, uh, message is woe to the destroyer. God will not be mocked. He won't. And so in this instance, we see that, and there's all these details that, that, that begin to unfold. And so Isaiah is uh, in a place where he's, he's uh, crying out to this destroyer, and the destroyer here is the nation of Assyria. And it is specifically the king of Assyria. So with that said, um, that's, uh, you know, it's about 701 B.C. Um, it's the Assyrian army and their king, um, Sennacherib. Uh, they're violated. He's violated his pact with Israel, with King Hezekiah, even after paying the tribute. And so this, is, uh, this betrayal, uh, God takes note of it. He does. And that's an awesome thing. So with that being said, let's read these uh, first 12 verses and then we'll uh, go into a, a quick time of prayer and uh, hopefully keep this short. It reads as following. Woe to you, destroyer, while you were not destroyed. And he who was treacherous, while others did not deal treacherously with him. As soon as you shall finish destroying, you shall be destroyed. Kapow. He's laying down the law. 
As soon as you shall cease to deal treacherously, others shall deal treacherously with you. Now he's speaking very specifically about something that was going to happen. And, and uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that. Verse 2, uh, Isaiah all of a sudden, you know, switches here. Um, he switches stances, if you will, in a baseball term. So now he's going from lefty to righty. He just all of a sudden swaps, and then uh, he begins praying this way. He's first called out the destroyer. Now he says, O Lord, Yahweh, be gracious to us. We have waited for thee. Be thou their strength every morning. Be our salvation in the time of distress. Um, At the sound of of the tumult, peoples flee. At the lifting up of thyself, nations disperse, and your spoil is gathered as the caterpillar gathers, as locusts rushing about, men rush about on it. Yahweh is exalted. He dwells, for he dwells on high. He has filled Zion and justice and righteousness. He has filled Zion with justice and righteousness. He shall be the stability of your times. A wealth of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. Behold, their brave men cry in the, in the streets. The ambassadors of peace weep bitterly. The highways are desolate. The traveler has ceased. He has broken the covenant. He has despised the cities. He has no regard for man. He's specifically speaking of one person. Isaiah is here. Says the land mourns and pines away. Lebanon is shamed and withers. Sharon is like a desert plain, and Bashan and Carmel lose their foliage. Now I will rise, says the Lord. All of a sudden, God breaks in, and He speaks specifically first person. He says, "Now I will rise," says Yahweh. "Now I will be exalted. Now I will be lifted up." You have conceived chaff. You will give birth to stubble. It's kind of a funny <laughs> thing to say. My breath will consume you like a fire. It's like everything that you're producing is just so that I can burn it. That's the point. And the peoples will be burned to lime, like cut thorns which are burned in the fire. Now, this is speaking specifically of something that was going to happen in the very near future. So it's historical. I think Isaiah had this vision of something that was going to happen, and we'll read a little bit about it in 2 Kings this morning, and then uh, kind of go from there. But for now, let's, uh, let's uh, go into a, a moment of prayer. Father, thank you. And thank you, Lord, that in spite of um, uh, all the craziness that's going on right now, all the deviancy and perversions, all the wickedness and evil, all the selfishness and all the things that are going on, the destroying of your earth. Your word says, woe to the destroyer. One day they will know that woe. We thank you that you are the God who is enthroned in the heavens. You are the God who has made all things, the creator of heaven and earth. It's all yours. You will do with it as you please. You have the right to do so, and we thank you. We acknowledge that here. Um, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word, which fills us, which sustains us, which keeps us and gives us insight to even things that are going on today. This is a historical text, but it still helps us to understand more of the things that are going on around us. And most importantly, it helps remind us that you are a great God, that you are a wonderful God. That even if things seem like they're unfolding before us in ways that that are coming against us, You are still God. You are still in control. And you know the outcome. You know the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. And it reminds us that you are that great and mighty God who saves wretches like us for your glory for all eternity. And we thank you. And we praise you. We thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would open it to us. Open up our eyes, ears, mind, and heart that we would know you more. Know you better, more intimately. For you are our Lord, the Lord our God, our King and Savior, and we thank you. Be with us as we uh, open these things up in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. So this 
thing that was going to act itself out um, can be found in 2 Kings. So let's turn there just for a moment so we can get some of the background because I think it's important to understand. Uh, it'll help clarify some of the things that, that are going on here. In 2 Kings uh, 19 specifically, I'll let you read 18 and uh, 17 and 18 and 19 all dealing with these things that are going on. This is happening simultaneously, if you will, with what's going on in Isaiah. So it gives us a better understanding of this is what was going on historically. Um, this is what they were dealing with. And, in, um, and specifically in uh, 2 Kings, uh, verse, starting in verse 20, the, I'll let you read the rest of 19 uh, on your own. And that should be in your bulletin, in your, um, uh, the Berean section of your, of your bulletins, so that you can study that on your own. But starting in verse 20, here's the outcome of it. It reads as following, this is the word that the Lord has spoken against him. Now keep in mind, Hezekiah has gone in, he's prayed, he's taken the letter that was sent, this boastful, prideful, arrogant letter that was sent. After a pact was made, he's going against his word, King Sennacherib, and now Hezekiah has the letter and he takes it to the temple and he lays it before God. And he's like, see, God, look, this is what's happening. And he pours out his heart. It's a great prayer. It's real simple. Um, in fact, let's, let's read that prayer starting in verse 14. And then Hezekiah took the letter from the hand of the messenger and read it. And he went up to the house of the Lord and spread it out before Yahweh. And Hezekiah prayed before Yahweh and said, O Yahweh, the God of Israel, who art enthroned above the cherubim, thou art the God. I like that. Thou art the God. Definite article. You're the God, the only God. And then he says, Thou alone, or you alone, all of the kingdoms of the earth, um, thou hast made heaven and earth. Incline thine ear. O Lord, hear, open thine eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to the words of Sennacherib, um, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have devastated the nations and their lands, and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone, so they have destroyed them. He's acknowledging they were false gods. They weren't gods at all. You're the only god that there is. But they still did this. And now, O Lord, verse 19, I pray, deliver us from the hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou alone, O Yahweh, art God. What's he praying for? Do what you do, Lord, so that everybody will know that you're God. That's why. It's for the purpose of God's glory. He's got his prayer right. He's got his priorities right. He was a real man of God. He said, do this, Lord, not for my sake. Do it for your sake, for your name's sake. You be glorified in this. You be known as the God of all the, that there is no other God above you, that you are the God of gods, essentially, is what he's praying. Verse 20, then Isaiah, the son of Amoz, sent to Hezekiah, saying, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, because you have prayed to me about Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard you. How, how we long to hear that from God, huh? I heard you. Because, because you prayed to me, I, I, I hear you. That would be awesome. Uh, this is the word that Yahweh has spoken against him. She has despised you and mocked you, the virgin daughter of Zion. She has shaken her head behind you and the daughter of Jerusalem. Whom have you reproached and blasphemed? And against whom have you raised your voice and haughtily lifted up your eyes? Against the Holy One of Israel. Through your messengers you have reproached Yahweh, or the Lord, Adonai in this case actually. And you have said, with many chariots, I came up to the heights of the mountains, to the remotest parts of Lebanon. I cut down its tall cedars and its choice cypresses. And I entered its farthest lodging place, its thickest forests. I dug wells and drank foreign waters. And with the sole of my feet I dried up all the rivers of Egypt. Have you not heard? Long ago I did it. 
From ancient times I planned it. Now I have brought it to pass that you should turn fortified cities into ruinous heaps. What's he saying? You forgot who did this. You think you did this. He says, no, this is, from, this is way, way long ago I had this all planned out. Verse 26, therefore, the inhabitants were short of strength. They were dismayed and put to shame. They were as the vegetation of the field and the green herb, as grass on the housetop of, uh, is scorched before it is grown up. But I know you're sitting down, and you're going out, and you're coming in, and you're raging against me. Because of your raging against me, and because of your arrogance has come up to my ears, therefore I will put my hook in your nose and my bridle in your lips, and I will turn you back the way by the way which you came. Then this shall be the sign for you. You shall eat this year what grows of itself, in the second year what springs forth from the same, and in the third year sow, reap, plant vineyards, and eat their fruit. The surviving remnant of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go forth a remnant, and out of the Mount Zion survivors, the zeal of Yahweh will perform it. Therefore, thus says Yahweh concerning the king of Assyria, He shall not come to this city or shoot an arrow there, neither shall he come before it with a shield, nor throw up a mound against it. By the way that he came up, by the same he shall return, and he shall not come to this city, declares Yahweh. For I will defend this city to save it, for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. And here's the key. So in Isaiah, he's having this vision or he's seeing this thing and he's prophesying what's going to take place before it takes place. And this is more than likely what he saw. Verse 35, Then it happened that night that the angel of Yahweh went out and struck 185,000 in the camp of Assyria, of the Assyrians. And when men rose early in the morning, behold, all of them were dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home and lived at Nineveh. Can you imagine? You go with your mighty army of all these different people, and you wake up in the morning, you go to bed, you're ready to pounce on them. You wake up the next morning, and 185,000 of your warriors are gone, dead, no more. That's pretty freaky. The king said, let's get out of here. Let's go. That's how God works. And it came about as he was worshiping. It didn't, get, it didn't just stop there. Not only did it go back... It says in verse 37, And it came about that as he was worshiping in the house of Nishrosh, his god, that Adremelech and Shariser killed him with a sword, and they escaped into the land of Ararat. And Esrahedon, his son, became the king in his place. So not only did God prevent him from doing what he had planned after going back on his word, he did exactly what God said he was going to happen. He would eventually have him put to death. He was going to pay the ultimate price. So going back to, uh, to Isaiah, woe to the uh, um, destroyer. There will always be enemies of God. There will always be enemies of God. We were enemies of God at one point, right? Before we were saved, we were enemies of God. Because to not be His is to be His enemy. And there are always going to be enemies. There are enemies today. There are enemies today who disregard the idea of God. They hold on to their um, things that they've been taught in universities and colleges and, and the like. And they disregard our God. They're like the people in Romans 1. They deny, they, they refuse to even acknowledge that there is a God. Their God is supposed knowledge. But there's no wisdom in that knowledge that they acquire. And where there's no wisdom, it just makes you an imbecile. Because it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. You have to have God 
as the center of everything or nothing makes sense. And so this is, um, there's always going to be destroyers. There's always going to be those who are the destroyers that God will have to deal with. At least until the return of our Lord and Savior. Um, There are always those enemies who will mock at God. They'll blaspheme Him secretly. There are those who will be foolish enough to do so openly and arrogantly and pridefully. And in God's face, if you will. They openly do this. They mock. Destroyers who do nothing but destroy. That's all they know how to do. Um, People who are godless, that's all they can do is destroy. They refuse to understand the order of God's creation. They refuse to see the things that God has done. And in doing so, they make themselves not only His enemies, they make themselves destroyers. They claim that they're saving the earth but really what they're doing is destroying it. I mean, think about the, uh, the electric cars, those batteries. You know how much of the earth has to be dug up in order to get just one little battery? All the stuff that's needed? You know how much earth is destroyed? A lot. You know what happens to those batteries once they're all used up? We don't know what to do with them. They're poisonous. And so they bury them in the ground. They destroy the, the ground with it. Not only that, they, they claim to be wanting to save the earth from all this stuff, this nonsense, this fossil fuel nonsense. And, you know, God put the oil in the earth long before there was any dinosaurs that came and, you know, melted down and became oil. That's all nonsense. The oil's always been there. God has always provided He's provided for his people like that. He, he planned that all uh, in advance. And, and so they're the destroyers, those who will destroy everything. They destroy the God-given rights that have been given. That's all they know how to do is destroy. They think they're doing good. They really do. But it's because they're so blinded by their godlessness. And so woe to the destroyer. While you were not destroyed, so the king of Assyria says, while you were not destroyed... Um, Woe to you. He who is treacherous while others did not treacherously deal with him. As soon as you finish destroying, you will be destroyed. We just read about that. And as soon as you cease to deal treacherously, others will deal treacherously with you. Who is he killed by? His own people. People who are worshiping with him. People in his own church. Killed him. They dealt treacherously with him. You see, God, like he said in, the, in that uh, outcry after uh, um, Hezekiah's prayer and the prophecy that, that was given through Isaiah, he said, I planned this a long time ago. This is, this is all my plan. I've got this all worked out. I've got the details. I knew this was going to happen. It's not like God was up there and, and a prayer all of a sudden hits him. It's like, oh my gosh, I didn't, what do I do? Yeah. It's, no, he says, I already knew all this. So, but because you've done this, this is what's going to happen. Now, why is it important for us to understand that? Why did I mention Abimelech earlier? Well, because of this. We do have limited free choice, limited free agency, limited free will. But it's very limited. And in that limitation, we do make choices. And we sin, and we fall short of the glory of God. The Bible's clear, right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Who's the all in that case? All. All. Everybody, from Adam all the way till the last person that's born on the face of the earth. Every person falls short of the glory of God. All have sinned. So it's not just the people that were at the time of Paul when Paul wrote that in Romans. It's continuing, right? It's an ongoing thing. So that is one of the things God does give us that limited, we do have that limited free will. But he also holds us accountable. He's not up there like, you know, making puppets. But he also is not up there out of control. He's not up there with his hands in his, biting his nails, going, oh, what am I going to do? No, he's totally got it all worked out. And so he holds men accountable for their sin. This is why. And this is an important thing because we get a lot of people that, that want to fight against that idea. That, well, no, if God is, is sovereign and he's, he knows everything and he's, he controls everything, then, then that means that... Uh, he shouldn't hold men responsible. It's like, no, that's nonsense. 
Because I, I, I ain't never met a guy who's not a sinner. Right? I look at him in the morning in the mirror every, every morning. Right? So, so, so that's, that's, what we, that's what we are. That's how, how we are. And God did hold me accountable. But at the same time, when he sent his Holy Spirit, when he caused me to be quickened to life and quicken my spirit, he also let me know not only was I a dirty, rotten, filthy sinner, a wretch that deserved his, his damnation, he also let me know there's a Savior. I've sent my son. And he died on the cross for your sin. The destroyers will be destroyed. God will not be mocked. He can't be mocked because ultimately they will be held accountable. And I think that's one of the things that we as the church need to be uh, doing is, to, you know, as I'm going through the book of Ezekiel, he told Ezekiel, look, I'm, I'm holding you uh, as a, I'm using you as a watchman. And you're to blow the horn when you see evil coming. And if the people respond in the right way, they'll repent and they'll come to me. And if they don't, that's their problem. They're going to have to deal with their sin, with their rebellion. And they're not acting upon the warning. But if I tell you that someone's coming and you don't blow the horn, I'm going to hold you accountable for their lives. And I think that's one of those things where we as Christians need to be, remember that, that, that we need to be warning people. We're going to be hated for it. We're going to be called names for it. We're going to be laughed at for it. We're going to be held in derision for that. Right now, there's a, there's a movement on, in the media, what little I do watch of it, that is condemning white Christian nationalism. If you love the country that God has put you in, and you're a Christian, then you're the problem. And by the way, I guess that makes me a white Christian nationalist because, you know, they include me in that, <laughs> in that, in that bunch. Um, and and uh, just like uh, Justice Thomas. Did you know that Justice Thomas, he's a black, white racist? No kidding. No, I'm not kidding you. That's how they think. The destroyers. That's what they think. It's, it's crazy what's going on. So war to, woe to the destroyers. Um, uh, the destroyer will be destroyed. He's going to be dealt with. God is going to hold them accountable, even though God is using them as a judgment. And it's so fitting for what is going on today. There are those destroyers. God will hold them accountable, whether they believe it or not. Just this morning, early this morning, I responded to somebody on, on a feed. And I, they were kind of poking fun at me because I'm, I'm a believer. And I just responded, hey, you know what? Whether you choose to believe in the fairy tale of evolution, that's your business. But here's the deal. You're going to stand before God. And you're going to stand accountable to Him for your sin. And He sent His Son to die on the cross for you. He was buried and He rose again on the third day, all according to Scripture. Repent. And come to Him. Trust in Jesus. He'll save you. He'll redeem you. He'll make you new. Your unbelief is irrelevant. You're going to have to do this. And I care enough about you to do this, to tell you that. You can make fun of me, that's fine. It doesn't hurt my feelings. I've been called a lot worse things, right? And so, so there's, that's what we need to be doing. We need to be warning them of the wrath that is to come, because there is a wrath that will come. Verse 2, O Lord, be gracious to us, he says. We have waited for you. Be their strength every morning, our salvation also in the time of distress. This verse begins with, a, with a, a prayer for mercy during the hour of judgment. I know that judgment's coming, but be merciful. In Habakkuk 3, um, there with all the stuff that's going on and all the judgment that's being, and the people are being taken, Habakkuk, one of the, the uh, um, minor prophets, cries out to God and he says, in judgment, in your uh, dealing out, unleashing your wrath against your enemies, remember mercy. He just says this just kind of in passing almost. Like in your wrath, in your fury, in, in your, your raging, uh, uh, fiery wrath, remember mercy. Remember mercy for your people. 
Don't forget us. Don't forget us. We're, we're your people. Don't forget us. Do what you got to do, but don't forget us. Remember, have mercy. Um, verse 3, at the sound of the tumult, peoples flee. At the lifting of yourself, nations disperse. Now this, this uh, uh, almost sounds like he's talking about the people of Israel, but he's not. Because remember what's going on in the background, what, what Isaiah is seeing. He's seeing this angel coming to destroy these 185,000. They're going to wake up in the morning when this takes place. The night before, they're all going to sleep in their camp, ready to go do what they're going to do. And all of a sudden, they're going to wake up. And 185,000 are going to be dead. Boom. Wiped out. So the tumult is probably this... I mean, imagine that. Imagine being in camp somewhere, and all of a sudden, 185,000 are dead. What are you going to do? Are you just going to wake up and go, oh, hmm, that's kind of interesting. So many people are dead. You're going to freak out, right? There's going to be a tumult. Everybody's going to be waking. What's going on? It's going to be going crazy. Can you imagine? I mean, that's exactly what's going on. He says that the lifting up of yourself, nations disperse. I love that. And see, that's what we should be praying for. God, lift yourself up. Lift yourself up through your people. Give us that voice. Help us to be this, what we're supposed to be. It sounds like the description of, of the people of God, but it's not. It's actually the, the prophet describing the actions of the enemies at the gates of, God, uh, of, of God's people because he has reared up himself to make war with the oppressors of his beloved. Verse 4, your spoil is gathered at, as the caterpillars. So there's, imagine this camp that's there. All these people are dead. What's going to be left behind when the king just up and leaves? A lot of loot, a lot of booty, a lot of stuff. Like, hey, we're going to be able to go and just gather all that stuff. One of the commentaries was interesting, said, you know, it's very possible. You know, I don't know how probable it is, but they said it's very possible that all the, the gold and all the stuff that Hezekiah paid to the king of Assyria, it's very possible some of that was left there. And he was able to put it back where it belonged. Because it was, it was God's gold. It's always been God's gold, Right? So it's very possible as your spoil is gathered, because um, he's talking about the, the Assyrians, as your spoil is gathered and as the caterpillars gathered, as locusts rushing about, uh, men rush about on it. So it's going to be like locusts. They're going to be just, hey, we got all this stuff all of a sudden. We're rich. We're rich. Um, this is most likely what the reference is about. Um, the destruction of the 185 soldiers, warriors in one night by the angel of the Lord. We read that in 2 Kings 19. There would have been an abundant or an overabundant amount of booty and things left behind by the king who eventually would be murdered. Verse 5, the Lord is exalted for he dwells on high. He has filled Zion with justice and righteousness. In one of the commentaries, it reads this. It says, the Lord is exalted. His destruction of the Assyrian host is an exaltation of God. It causes him to be exalted in the thoughts of those who have uh, cognizance of the fact um, that it's God who did this. It's not just his people, but it does include his people, but it's also the enemies of God. Um, this is one of the things that when God rises up, it just confounds the enemies. The destroyers are confounded because they don't have an answer for this. They just don't. Um, there's just no reasoning and, and no way that they can come to a conclusion as to how else things came about except that it must have been their God. He must have stepped in on behalf of them. The Lord is exalted for he dwells on high. Um, and it goes on to say it is an indication to them that he uh, has his dwelling on high and is the true king of heaven. He's letting his enemies know your gods mean nothing. They're less than nothing. They don't even exist except for in your imagination. That's all. That's all. That's all they are. Um, he has filled Zion with judgment, etc. Um, the, the destruction is in part the result 
in part the cause of the Jews once more turning to God, putting away their iniquities, and establishing the reign of justice and righteousness in the land. What Isaiah is seeing here is like there's going to be a momentary, uh, um, a momentary opening of the mind where the people go, oh, God is God. Hey, God is God. Let's worship Him. Right? They're going to forget about all that stuff, and for a moment, they're going to, God has delivered us. That's one of the, that's one of the names that, that God, that we have to understand, that we don't think about very often as Christians. He is the deliverer. Jewish believers understand this, because they, they have that ingrained into them. They have this understanding, we're waiting for a deliverer. Well, the deliverer has already been delivered. He has delivered people, right? He delivers people continuously. And so he is the great deliverer, and he delivers. And this is probably what's, what the, uh, Isaiah is focusing on in his uh, uh, proclamation. That uh, the people will finally turn from their iniquities, and they'll establish justice and righteousness again, even if it is for just a short while. In judgment and righteousness can mean nothing else than the personal and civic virtues of the inhabitants of the city. Isaiah could not have written thus of the Jerusalem he knew, right? Because he knew full well what Jerusalem was really all about. But he's seeing something in the future. He's seeing something that was going to happen. Um, if he is the author, the words must express a vivid anticipation of the great change in the national character, which is now on the eve of, of accomplishment. Um, so the writer draws encouragement from two thoughts. From the nature of Israel's God, he is a spiritual being, dwelling on high beyond the reach of his enemies. I love that. God is beyond the reach of the enemy. Even though when you read uh, Psalm chapter 2, which I don't think has happened yet, it has been happening since the beginning, but in its full outworking, it has not happened yet. Psalm chapter 2, where the nations gather together to make war against God. That's crazy. How do you make war against God? Especially with all the nations of the world. It's just wild. Um, Psalm chapter 2. Um, he's a spiritual being dwelling on high beyond the reach of his enemies from the spiritual blessings he has conferred on his people. The connection of these two may be gathered from it is the out from Isaiah thirty two fifteen, which we re, which we uh, uh, will read, um, probably next week. It is the outpouring of the Spirit from on high that has preceded the fruit of righteousness in the state. So, if you remember that from the previous chapter, there was that statement that Isaiah made that there was going to be a Spirit that was going to come, and it may have been talking in the distant future, but it also may have had an outworking in the close future to what was going to happen. Um, that Israel possesses a religion which is essentially spiritual appears to be the ultimate ground on which the expectation of deliverance is based. That sounds an awful lot like the church, right? It's a spiritual thing. It's not uh, those, uh, we're not those people that say, well, you know, I'm spiritual. I just don't, I just don't practice um, organized religion. Come on, stop it. Stop that nonsense. Uh, verse 6. He will be the stability of your times and a wealth of, of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. By the way, the, uh, uh, there in the middle of the verse, um, when it says that he will be the stability of your times, and it says a wealth of salvation. You know what that word is in the Hebrew? It's a great word. It's Yeshua. Yeshua. It literally means salvation. His name is literally salvation. Yeah, that's awesome. It is. It's an amazing thing. He says it's a wealth of salvation. It sounds a lot like Ephesians, where God's going to pour out in abundance, far beyond what we can think or imagine, according to the riches in who? In Christ Jesus. That wealth of Yeshua. And then he says, in wisdom and in knowledge, in him there is wisdom. Seeking him is wisdom. Knowing him is knowledge. Because knowledge flows from him. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. 
And that's what should, uh, you know, fill us with that, that fear, that awesome awe and that wonder and that, that fear of the Lord for He is God Almighty. Um, verse 7 and 8, Behold, their brave men cry in the streets. So notice he said they're brave. He's uh, saying, you know, with, with all these people all of a sudden dead, they're crying in the streets. The ambassadors of peace whip, weep bitterly. Hey, we thought we had the king of all kings. This, this guy was taking everybody out. And when you go through um, uh, 2 Kings 18 and 19, one of the things you're going to read is they actually name a lot of the, uh, um, a lot of the countries that they overtook, uh, the Assyrians did, and they actually name some of the gods. And they say, hey, their gods couldn't deliver them. If their gods couldn't deliver them from us, from the king, how's your God going to do that? We've taken all their gods and we buried them. We burned them. We did all this stuff to them. There was only one thing they didn't count on. That there is an actual God. And He is the God of Israel. And that He is Almighty. They didn't take that into account. Um, it's like the destroyers today. They don't acknowledge God as He is. They don't give Him the honor that, he is, that is due Him. And there is a price to pay but even God can, but even they, God can save. He can save some of them. And pray, pray for that. I do. As hard as it is. I want to pray just imprecatory prayers for them. But there's those times when I'm like, Lord, save those who are yours. Draw them out of there. Open their eyes. Help them to see. Help them to see the folly of all the things. I don't want to see them burn. I want to see them know you and turn. And change things, but your God, you do as you will, even if, as the song said, even if, even if you're not going to change that, that's okay. Your God, do what you will. I know my hope is in you. Behold, their brave men cry in the streets. The ambassadors they, uh, of peace weep bitterly. The highways are desolate and the travelers has ceased. He has broken the covenant. Now he's speaking specifically of the king and what he has done. He broke that covenant. He despised the cities. He has no regard for men. He's calling them out on the uh, pride and the arrogance that once uh, somebody tastes a little bit of that power, you know, the old saying is, power corrupts. And absolute power corrupts what? Absolutely. And that's what he had had a taste of, and he liked it. Hmm. There's another king that's going to come after the Assyrian king and the same thing was going to happen to him. Gets a taste of that power and he's like, mmm, that's yummy, I like that, I want more. And God holds him accountable. God uses them specifically and he still holds them accountable. That's the way that God works. Um, so all of these things happen and God is right now, through the prophet Isaiah, for those who are listening, one of the things that turns the people's heart is they remember that God does save. God does deliver. God does as He pleases. He uses other people, but they also remember that God, God saves. He, he's, he'll save us. He still will. I mean, imagine that, because that's, that's our story, isn't it? In our rebellion, in our sinful state, as Paul wrote in the book of Romans, God demonstrates His love towards us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Right? He does it while we're sinners. It's the same thing here. It's the same kind of idea. It's nothing new. Uh, verse 9, the land mourns. Oh, excuse me. He has broken the covenant. He has despised the cities. He has no regard for men. So, so this is one of the things. Uh, human ploys have failed. International trade, diplomacy, military expeditions have all come to an end. The Assyrians accepted gifts and tributes but Judah was, um, from Judah, but treacherously continued their siege. Again, God will not be mocked. The mighty Assyrian king forsook the graciousness and generosity of Yahweh and became arrogant and prideful and forgot that he is just a man, like every other man. That's one of the problems with power. You forget that you're just a man. And sometimes that happens. And sometimes it happens a lot. And right now we have people that are in power in different places that have not been elected, that are acting just like this. 
They've got a taste of power and they want more. They want all power. Verse 9, the land mourns and the pine, pines away. Lebanon is shamed and withers. Why? Sharon is like a desert plain and Bashan and Carmel lose their foliage. All of these, if you look it up in, in the history and if you look at it even today, all these places that are named, they're lush. Forests, foliage, plants, all kinds of things. It's a wonderful, beautiful place. People that have been there say, man... It's hard to imagine someplace more beautiful than this. But it's all been wiped out. It's all been put to shame. And if you remember back in 2 Kings where we were reading there, the king boasted about the fact that he had come and destroyed all of those places. And so this is what uh, Isaiah is including here. Um, the land of Carmel is areas famous for their fertility have become like deserts. It's been transformed by their uh, wicked deeds, and they've taken all the, all the resources and used them up. In verse 10 and 11, Now I will rise, says the Lord. I will be exalted. Now I will be lifted up. You have conceived chaff, and you will give birth to stubble. My breath will consume you like fire. Just like I said earlier, everything that they work towards has just been so that God will burn it up. Right? It's all, basically, they're going to get to that place where it's all vain. It's all vanity. Um, even uh, the king of Assyria's worship of his false god, it's going to be vanity. And he's going to end up dead because of it. God breaks in there. It's a time for divine intervention and glorious establishment of his kingdom has arrived. God raises himself up against the enemies of the people. Through the words of uh, the prophet and reminds the enemies of his people that knew um, that he alone will be glorified. That he alone is to be exalted. Um, Again, in your uh, bulletins, I believe I put this in there. I can't remember for sure. Um, I commend to you uh, Proverbs 8 and 6, uh, 16. But I want to read specifically Proverbs 8, verses 12 through 14. This is what the writer of the Proverbs says. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance, and the evil way, and the perverted mouth I hate. Counsel is mine, sound wisdom, I am understanding, power is mine. Wisdom dwells with with God, and this is the wisdom of God that is speaking out. He hates a perverted mouth. He hates arrogance and he hates the evil way. It's pretty powerful. And there, notice the, the, the contrast. Wisdom is, is you find knowledge. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. It's just the opposite. If you fear the Lord, you'll hate evil. If you fear the Lord, you'll hate pride. If you fear the Lord, you'll hate arrogance. If you fear the Lord, you'll hate the evil way. You'll hate the perverted mouth. Proverbs 16, 17, and 19, specifically, the highway of the upright is to depart from evil. That's a good thing. Depart. Sounds a lot like what, uh, what was written for us in the New Testament. Stand firm against the enemy. and He will flee from you. He will flee. He has to. Also, when you're tempted, he's given us a way out. It's to flee. Run. Put them track shoes on and get to stomping. Pick them up, put them down. Run away from that. Just say no. Um, That's one of the ways that we do it. And it's the same thing here in Proverbs. He says, the highway of the upright is to depart from evil. That's the highway. Not the low way. Not the side road. It's the highway. It's the expressway. Run away from it. He who watches his way preserves his life. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. It is better to be humble in spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. That's exactly what the king of Assyria did. He got prideful. And what happened? He had a haughty spirit. He stumbled. Um, Pride goes before destruction. He was destroyed because pride is what he engendered in his spirit to do. Verse 12, the people will be burned with to lime. This is a pretty um, explicit way of explaining it. God says, I'm wiping them out. 
If you know what lime is, go to the hardware store. You can ask for a bag of lime. It goes along with cement, Portland cement. And you make all kinds of stuff. You add some, some uh, sand to that, and you add a little bit of gravel. You got concrete. You got all kinds of stuff. He says, I'm going to burn them to lime. It's just going to be, you know, only for one use, to make cement, to make concrete. Like cut thorns which are burned in the fire. Um, that's what's going to happen. That's what's going to take place. And now, um, not only are they going to be burned, he gives a description of, of, of how they're going to be burnt. But they're going to be burnt so thoroughly that there's going to be nothing left of them. When God rises to punish, or better said, to judge, the judgment is final. There's no going back from it. Praise God that we're not the enemies of the Lord. But we need to be warning people. There is a destruction that's coming. There's a God who loves, but it's also, He's also a God of wrath. And He hates pride and arrogance. He hates the sin, sinful things. To us, seemingly extreme sometimes that judgment. However, let us never forget that God is good. He is righteous. He is just. He is never unjust. He has never been unjust. Nor will He ever be unjust. But His judgment is final and good and perfect because He alone is holy. And the enemies of God will never understand this. Biblical truth. They gnash their teeth, rather. They're seething with hatred for God and His people, the God of all creation, because He is God alone and they are not. They want to play God. We've had people say that from the World Economic Forum. Dr. Harari has said that. They're going to play God. They're going to make new things, new creation, he said. We're going to make a new creation. Good luck with that. There's only one God. Um, he's perfect. He's holy. And the enemies of God will never understand this biblical truth. They gnash their teeth, seething with hatred for God, of all the God of all creation, because He is God and they are not. Like their father the devil, they desire above all things, in their blind arrogance and pride, to be God, or at least to be equal with Him. But alas, there are fools, as the Bible tells us. The fool says in his heart, no God, right? The fool says in his heart, no God. Um, he won't honor God. They'll become the children or the people of Romans 1, chapter 8, verses 18 and on through 32. Um, I want to read what it says in the Matthew Henry's concise commentary on these verses. Um, he wrote it so eloquently. He says, Here we have the proud and false destroyer justly reckoned with for all his fraud and violence. The righteous God often pays sinners in their own coin. Those who, are, who by faith humbly wait for God shall find Him gracious to them. As the day, so let the strength be. If God leaves us to ourselves any morning, we are undone. We must every morning commit ourselves to Him and go forth in His strength to do the work of the day. When God arises, His enemies are scattered. True wisdom and knowledge lead to strength and salvation, the strength of salvation, which renders us steadfast in the ways of God. And true piety is the only treasure which can never be plundered or spent. The distress Jerusalem was brought into is described. God's time to appear for His people is everything. Sinners in Zion will have much to answer for above other sinners. And those that rebel against the commands of the word cannot take its comforts in time of need. His wrath will burn those everlastingly who make themselves fuel for it. It is a fire that shall never be quenched. 
nor ever go out of itself. It is the wrath of an ever-living God preying on the conscience of a never-dying soul. That's deep. That's heavy. But it's true. That's why we should continually seek Him and thank Him. In seeking Him, we should thank Him for everything. We should also be crying out on behalf of the lost. I want to finish with a reading from Psalm 96. Because this is kind of a heavy, heavy message, and, and this is more glorifying to those who are His people. In Psalm 96, verses 3 to 10, it says this, Tell of His glory among the nations. Proclaim it. His wonderful deeds among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are idols, but Yahweh made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before Him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. That means he will be just. Praise his name. Glorify his name. Praise it in the streets. Praise it to the peoples. Regardless of what they want to hear or don't want to hear. We don't want to purposely harm anybody or we don't want to purposely offend anybody. But we're to proclaim that. Um, you've heard me talk about uh, Andrew Torba and, and uh, um, uh, the thing that he started with Gab. I like that guy more and more. He was written up here in, uh, uh, by the New York Times, and they're, of course, defaming him. And in everything that he writes and his correspondence with him, he always ends with the same thing. And he says, I'm going to be sure to do this continually so that the world can hear it. It's that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's not a Jesus Christ is Lord and is going to come one day and then be Lord. He is Jesus Christ the Lord now. He's the king of the world. He's the king of all creation. He says, and I'm not going to be quiet about that. And we need to be more loud about that. And let people know that he is Lord. That he did create all everything and everything is in his power. It's all his. It all belongs to him. And he's going to come and take it back one day. And praise God for that, because he's going to gather his bride. Oh, how I long for that day, to see him coming in the clouds. Praise his holy name. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before him, all the earth. The Lord reigns, and indeed the world is firmly established. He will not be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. He'll be fair. He's more than fair. I take that back. He's just. He will be just. And he'll never deal in injustice. He will always be just. But he is the God who must be worshipped, and he's the only one alone, and there is no other. God is good, amen? amen. Praise God, for Christ is risen. Truly he is risen. Let's get a little bit louder, get some blood pumping. Christ is risen. Truly he is risen. Amen, amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for being our God and King. Thank you that you came and you took our place on that cross so long ago. It is just as powerful now as it was then. I know we thank you that you were buried, but we thank you that there is no grave that holds your bones. For you rose again on the third day, all according to Scripture. Your word tells us this. It is a testament to all that you were that to all that you were at that time and all that you have always been and all that you will always be, you will always be the Lord and King. We thank you. We thank you that you took our place and you did what was necessary to pay for our sin. 
and that our sin is placed there on the cross with our name on it. The certificate of death has been paid for. And it's stamped tetelestai, paid in full. How we thank you, Lord. Clothe us in that righteousness. Clothe us in your holiness. Clothe us in the power of your Holy Spirit. And then fill us and use us to proclaim that Jesus is Lord always, now, and forever. For your namesake we ask it in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen.